Well, thank you, Tommy, for reading that account of the crucifixion. But for today's uh, consideration, I'd like you to turn with me to Galatians, the book of Galatians in chapter 6. We'll be looking at just the final few verses of the book. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Good Friday. I mean, considering the, the crucifixion of Christ doesn't seem like a good thing. Good Friday is the day that we focus in a very particular way on Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth and having lived a perfect life, then was killed by the Roman government. This seems like anything but good. It seems like the last thing that we who profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ would want to celebrate and commemorate. In fact, I would put it to you that this was the most heinous evil act ever to have been committed by men. The author of life was crucified as a criminal. And not just any execution, it was crucifixion which was a violent, degrading, and humiliating form of execution. Crucifixion. Now, our modern exposure to pretend violence through movies and video games has numbed us to the concept of crucifixion as we sit here and consider it. But I've seen enough students get sick as they watch surgery to know that there's not a single person sitting here who would be able to watch a crucifixion without being viscerally affected by it. For starters, crucifixion was a form of execution that was always reserved for the worst criminals. This wasn't just anyone who got, cru got crucified. And if you've ever been to a prison, if you've ever been in the presence of a maximum security inmate, you'll know that there's a sense of trepidation just being around these people. But not only was crucifixion reserved for the worst of Roman society, but as you observed a crucifixion, it wasn't through a screen. You would be there, surrounded by the agonized shouts of the condemned, the gasping, rattling breaths as they slowly suffocated. You would smell the blood, the vomit, the sweat, and the excrement. Crucifixion was and is an ugly way to die. And yet, Paul says in Galatians 6, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've gotten so used to this concept of the cross as it is understood in our context that I don't think the statement lands on us the same way it would have landed on those who would have read Paul's letter for the first time. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had a lot that he could have boasted in, as he records for us in Philippians chapter 3. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, 
a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And he wasn't just being arrogant. These things applied to Paul. These are the things which Paul might have been tempted to boast in. These are the things which would have impressed people around Paul in his day. Now, in our context, you might be tempted to boast in other things as well. You might be tempted to boast in your career, in your skills, in your bodily appearance, in your children, in your education, in your knowledge of Scripture, or your family pedigree. Many Christians are tempted even to compare themselves to other people out there. The Holy Spirit, having begun the work of sanctification in their lives, and this moral and uh, moral transformation which happens, they look at themselves and they see that they're better than the guy next door. And they're tempted to boast in that righteousness, as if that righteousness was somehow produced by some virtue in themselves. Such is our sinfulness. Don't we know it? But Paul, eager to do away with all of that, tells us that we ought only to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how could we do that? How could he expect us to boast in the cross of Christ? Well, you see, Paul had been on the other side. Paul knew what it was like to boast in other things. He had seen the emptiness. He had seen the hypocrisy of boasting in the things that the world values. The things which our flesh values are fleeting. They vanish away. You'll remember that the writer to the, of Ecclesiastes calls chasing after riches vanity and striving after the wind. Have you not felt the truth of that statement yourself? Have you not dreamed about something, researched it, saved up for it, and then when you finally got it, it just didn't quite satisfy? Perhaps it was wonderful initially, but then as time went on, it got scratched or it broke or it started to cost a lot to maintain. Perhaps you looked forward to an experience, a dream holiday maybe. And when you got there, you had this small voice in the back of your mind looking around going, this is wonderful, but is this it? Is this what I dreamed, dreamed of and craved after? Is this all there is? We think that just a little bit more would satisfy us. Just a little bit more. And yet, we look around us every day and we see people that are more wealthy than us thinking exactly the same thing. They aren't satisfied either, just a little bit more. When the wealthiest man on earth dies, he cannot take a single thing with him. He has to leave it all behind. And for what? We all know the experience of boasting in worldly things, idolizing things and experiences that this world has to offer, and we all know deep down that none of these things is really worth anything. And that's why I think Paul could see right through the motives of these Judaizers that we read of in Galatians 6. The Judaizers believed that certain aspects of the Old Testament law still needed to be kept not in order to live a life pleasing to God, but in order to be accepted before God. You needed these things in addition to faith in Christ in order to be accepted before God. Things like circumcision and the dietary laws. Those laws whose purpose was to look forward to Christ, to point us to something greater, something better. 
And so when Christ came, all those dietary laws, circumcision was fulfilled in him. And now we embrace the reality of which those things were merely shadows. Paul says that those who want you to embrace the cross plus circumcision or the cross plus ceremonial cleanness are themselves proving their emptiness. They're proving their emptiness because all they want to do is to boast in your flesh, in the numbers of their converts, their followers. They themselves are not satisfied, but they are looking for something else to boast in, namely in the Galatians. Now, in our context, we might be tempted to behave very similarly to these Judaizers. We might be tempted to view the church through the metric of numbers or how many new members have joined, numbers of baptisms, the monthly collection, the amount of money given to missions, or any other number of worldly metrics. And in themselves, these things are not bad. Perhaps we err in the same manner of the, as of the Judaizers by knowing intellectually that we ought to boast in the cross. But like the Judaizers, we add terms and conditions to the gospel. We believe that we need to be the perfect mother who has all her children lined up neatly behind her, all excelling in school, all perfectly obedient and high achievers. Perhaps we feel that we need to achieve a certain body weight or look a certain way to be accepted into a social group. We feel like we need to be involved in every ministry opportunity that comes our way in order to please God. If this is the case, then we're behaving just like the Judaizers, who wanted to boast in the flesh of the Galatians. But on this Good Friday, this day when we reflect on the cross of Christ, let me with Paul encourage you and exhort you to stop boasting in these things. You might not be speaking about it, but in your heart, this is what gives you significance. Stop valuing them. Stop thinking that without these things, you are nothing. Wouldn't it be wonderful to, with Paul, say, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? But you can only really say that if the cross means anything to you personally. You can only say that if the cross of Christ really is your only boast. If you've recognized your sinfulness before God and you've confessed your sin to him, if you've seen that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and if you've put all your hope for forgiveness and acceptance before God in Jesus alone, only then will you be able to boast in the cross. Only then will you be able to truly see that your boast is the cross. Without the cross, we're nothing. Without the cross, we have no value. Without the cross... We truly are nothing. But through the cross, through the cross, brothers and sisters, we are counted as heirs of eternal life. We're given the right to be called the children of God, and all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. The cross of Christ really is our only boast. But secondly, notice that the cross of Christ has implications for this life. It's not just about where we're going. It's not just about being related to God. It changes the way we live and experience the world here and now. Notice that Paul's been anxious to point out the differences between himself and these Judaizers, these preachers of a false gospel. This contrast between the true gospel and those who would add to the gospel. 
Notice that those who wanted the Galatians to embrace circumcision did it, not, uh, did it in order to not only boast in their converts, but he says they did it in order to avoid persecution, to escape persecution because of the cross. They saw clearly that the cross of Christ brings persecution. Well, who might have persecuted them? When, when the church was still getting off the ground, why would there be persecution involved? Well, remember that just like in our day, there's much in Scripture that the world likes. The world likes to hear things about the love of God, doesn't it? The world likes to hear about the fact that God has a wonderful plan for your life. It likes to hear about doing to others as you would have them do to you. What the world doesn't like is to hear about their sin, their offense before a holy God, and the fact that in order for God to redeem sinners, he couldn't just make it go away. He had to send his only begotten son, the perfect lamb of God, who came and lived a life of moral purity and then was killed in the place of sinners like you and I, sinners who had no other hope. Those who would persecute Christians for their, the particulars of their faith in Paul's day were the Jews. Unbelieving Jews who didn't accept that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And the reason they didn't accept him was their vision of Messiah was far too small. They were so filled with earthly pride, with ethnic vainglory, that they could not accept that God had been using the nation of Israel to showcase his grace, his covenant relationship with his people, and his love and his grace toward them. They couldn't accept that it had always been God's plan to use the nation of Israel from which to be a blessing to all the nations. They couldn't accept that their long-awaited Messiah would then come and live not the life of a conquering king, but a suffering servant. And after living the humble life of a servant, most of all they could not accept that this Messiah would be killed by hanging on a tree, which according to the law brought a curse. Anyone who suggested that this Jesus, who had died the death of a despised criminal, anyone who would dare to suggest that this Jesus was in fact the Messiah, and that God's kingdom glory didn't look like earthly domination, but looked like a suffering servant dying in the place of those who could not do anything for themselves, they would face wrath and anger in plenty. In short, the Jews could not tolerate the message of the cross. Now, in our day and age, it's no different. This message of the cross, this story which runs so counter to every fiber of human pride, this is the same thing that causes offense in our day and age. This, day and age. this is the same thing that the world cannot accept. The implication of the cross is that we are so hopelessly sinful, so warped and twisted by our own sin, that we are beyond hope of saving except by divine intervention. This is a message which is humbling, and that's the problem. And so it's sure to bring persecution. The message that not only did we need the Son of God to die in our place to satisfy the wrath of the, of the Father, holy wrath, justified wrath, but the fact is, as we will celebrate on Sunday, that he didn't stay dead. God raised Jesus from the dead, and this excites scorn and mocking in the eyes of the world. Of course, dead people don't come to life. 
And just like the believing Jews in Paul's day, we need to be clear on the fact that this truth about the cross of Christ and its implications about our unworthiness and our need of a savior, it is this cross of Christ which will bring persecution and mocking and scorn in our day. The cross of Christ does have implications for this life. But thirdly, notice that the cross of Christ leads to a new creation. Paul says, But far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And if you know the book of Galatians, you'll see that Paul throughout the book has been eager to show them that for those who are related to Jesus through faith, what happened to Jesus gets applied to them as well. So when Christ died, in a very real, tangible sense, we die. When he is raised to life, we too are raised to life. Now this message of the cross is indescribably wonderful because by it, sinners under the wrath of God, guilty of eternal damnation and separation from God's grace. By the cross, believing sinners are freed from the burden of their guilt and escape punishment. They escape punishment because God's wrath was justly poured out on a substitute who took it on their behalf. And because that substitute stood in their place, Sinners who believe are justly freed. But not only have they escaped punishment, but at the same time that their sins were transferred to Christ, they were imputed to Christ, at that moment, his righteousness gets transferred, his holiness, his moral purity gets transferred to the sinner. So not only were their sins transferred to Christ, but his righteousness was transferred to them. And I think that anyone who understands this exchange could not call this day anything other than Good Friday. Good is a euphemism. It's the understatement of all time. So this exchange takes place because of the cross of Christ. But as I said earlier, our connection to Christ actually runs deeper than that. In a profound sense, this identification with Christ in his suffering and death is more than merely spiritual. The sting is gone and there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But as Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Now those sufferings are not related to punishment for guilt, but there is the sharing in Christ's sufferings that happens for Christians. Christian identification with Christ is profound and it extends beyond the merely spiritual as we enter into Christ's death and resurrection. By the cross, the world is crucified to us and we to the world. That is that the cross of Christ brings about a very tangible death in the life of a believer. There's a crucifixion of the worldly system which stands opposed to God. There's a disassociation, a distancing of a believer from that which once delighted him. The desires of a believer are changed. He no longer wants that which previously delighted him, but which served his sin. He now delights in those things which the world cannot provide. 
As a believer matures in the faith, there will be a very tangible difference which makes itself known and felt by which a believer is marked off from the world as one who doesn't belong to this world and its ungodly system. You cannot boast in the cross of Christ and love the world at the same time. They're like oil and water. They don't mix. Brothers and sisters, the cross of Christ produces a tangible difference within the lives of believers, distinctives which mark us off from the world. If you persist in being drawn by the things of the world, if you find yourself blending into the worldly system, into society with effortless exertion on your part, you need to ask the question, what is my boast? Has the world been crucified to me and I to the world, or am I still living in the world very much alive to it and a part of it and its vanity? The cross results in death. It's an instrument of execution. And as you identify with Christ's physical death on the cross, you will experience a kind of death in your life. Death to fleshly desires. Death to the goals and ambitions that you may have had before Christ. Death to selfish living. Death to privacy and seclusion. Death to comfort and stability. Death to the world. And the world which had a hold on you will likewise be put to death. Thankfully, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also be raised with him. But more about that on Sunday, so you'll have to come back. The cross of Christ leaves a mark. For Paul, there were some physical scars, and you might be called to the same. Who knows? Who knows the future? But perhaps the marks that you have will be less obvious. Perhaps you'll have to give up a career in order to raise godly offspring. Perhaps you'll face slander and opposition from people you used to trust. You may be marked off in any number of ways, but be assured the cross will leave a mark. But these marks are all trophies of grace, which will glorify God throughout eternity. These are marks which show the effectiveness of Christ's love for us on the cross, turning wretched sinners like you and I into people willing to spend themselves and be spent for the kingdom. And all the sufferings we face in this life, all the experiences, all the possessions, all the positions that we have to give up now are not even worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for us. For us who bear in our bodies the marks of Christ. So this Good Friday and henceforth... May it be far from us to boast in anything except the cross of Christ. For by it we are made a new creation, sons and daughters of God. By it the world is crucified to us and we to the world, that we might be sanctified and cleansed, presented to Christ in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish to the praise of his glorious grace.
Great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that out of the worst evil in all of history, you brought about the greatest, most glorious good for your people. We thank you that though the cross leaves a mark, those marks will serve to honor and glorify your saving grace for all eternity. We pray that you would please help us to respond to the cross with repentance and grateful submission in faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.